Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Adeptus Podcastus, all about the Eldar. This week we will be covering the Eldar previews, as well as our spoiler card, and going into a little bit of information on the Eldar and their lore. Uh, we're going to jump right into the cards because there's not really any news this week to report, so I'm going to hand things over to my co-host Nate, and Nate's going to take it from there. Hey, uh, how is everyone? <laughs> I'm doing well, aside from the sunburn I got from the water park yesterday, but I'm hoping it will go away quickly. I put some aloe on last night, and I'm hoping it will take the burn out. Yeah, you'll probably feel it tonight when you get in bed, I should imagine. That's when the, the best stuff kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, this week we've um, we've got the Eldar. Um, the usual thing where they uh, give us a, a little fan of cards. Um, you can only really make out the uh, the front two cards, uh, being Doom and uh, Corsair Trading Point Airport. Um, you can make out just about the Eldar Survivalist, which just looks to be a two-cost army that seems to be vanilla, uh, but has a command icon. Uh, I don't don't think there's anything going to be too special about that. Whether it doesn't have an attack though, I think it's just there primarily to win the. Um, the command struggles by the looks of it. Um, you can also see the BL10 Guardians, who look like they're going to be a cheap one cost unit, but the loyal thing sort of has me questioning something. Because usually they put loyal on something that's either has a weird uh, interaction with other things or is quite well costed, if, it, if you follow me. Um, yeah, it's a weird one, that. Uh, the, like I said, the two cards you can see, um, we have Doom, which is a four-cost event uh, with a single shield icon. Uh, it's a deploy action. It says destroy each non-unique unit, and I'm going to assume it says at each place HQ, which is probably going to be quite powerful. Uh, I'm not sure that how this will be, how easy will this be to, to be applied to be really beneficial to yourself. Uh, what would you think on that one? I don't know. Like I'm, I'm kind of questioning how that card works in a good way because it destroys all your units and all the opponent's units. I guess if, like, if you're really behind, it might be good just to try and like force a refret or a reset maybe, or if you somehow have mostly unique units sitting in your HQ, like if I don't know, like and you know the, a unique special character from the faction and then your warlord and stuff that might also be a benefit. I mean, it's another board wipe, so, you know, it's kind of like Exterminatus. It's slightly different in its application, which is fine, because, you know, it should be different, because it's, you know, different faction, different race and stuff. I don't know. I'm not too sure. And the cost is four, and it's only be able to be used during the deployment phase. I'm sure there's going to be some use for it, and probably in the future it will be, like, a really powerful, effective card, but right out of the gates, it looks like it's so difficult to play around and make effective that a lot of people, especially the the four costs, that's going to be a large chunk of your turn. You get, you're going to think that four, you could buy quite a bit for four, four costs. So it's, I don't know. I don't think a lot of times it's going to be worth it straight out of the gate. Anyway, later on it might if you get like this control build where you can do things, it might be really useful. But for now, yeah, I think people probably just put it in the folder for now. Seems really pricey for a situational card. Yeah, which is a shame because the artwork on it is pretty 
freaking awesome. So, um, yeah. Um, the the other card we have is a um, one cost support unit. Uh, support, sorry. Um, the Corsair Trading Port. It's a uh, limited location. Limited being you can only play one per round. Uh, as the interrupt, when you deploy an Eldar unit, exhaust support to reduce that unit's cost by one, which seems pretty fairly standard resource mechanics, basically. It's similar to the people who uh, people who played Game of Thrones, their uh, fiefdoms work in a similar sort of manner, so uh, not a great deal to say about that one, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's similar, I think almost every FFG has some sort of similar card. The thing that I find odd about this one is the fact that it's unique as well as being limited. In all the other FFG LCGs, they've always not been unique, so it's rather interesting that it was decided to make this one unique. Yeah, to say it's just a Corsair trading port, it doesn't seem that unique in and of itself. But, well, they're the card mechanics behind it anyway, so we'll have to live with them. Yeah, and it's pretty safe to assume that we'll see a similar location for all the other races, because it's pretty, like I said, pretty no. standard in FFG games that there's something like this for each race or faction or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, then we come on to the uh, first of the actual preview cards, and we have the uh, Eldar Warlord, being Eldarath Starbane. Um, he's a Psyker and a Latok. He's a 1-7, with a standard 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, with the reaction, after this Warlord commits to a planet, exhaust the target non-Warlord unit at that planet. Um, really nice ability. Uh, Looking over the other cards that come further on in, in the actual previews, I think it's going to be really useful. Um, being able to sort of hop him in and neutralise their biggest threat for the first turn is going to be um, really useful. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing fancy, just quite a subtle but powerful ability. At the same time, it's, um, it keys off with a lot of the other Eldar effects. So, yeah, I like this guy. Yeah, I like him too. Like, I'm a I've always been a fan of the Eldar ever since I first started in second edition and this to me feels like an Eldar card, like it feels like it should work. It's very controlling, kind of manipulates and controls you know, your opponent because that's one of the things the Eldar are known for is their uh, manipulation of the other races for their own benefit and survival. So I think it, it feels like a really good card. It's definitely a very controlling card, so I can definitely you know, Eldar being a control faction made perfect sense in my mind so I'm not surprised at all yeah like you said I mean the limited bits of lore I do need, uh, I do know they have been like you say manipulating other factions and, and they, I can't remember if they have the so the ability to the far sight ability to um, almost see into the future and predict things so th this really fits them being that sort of controlling soft control rather than hard control sort of faction which, which I do like so um, then we come on to Starbane's signature squad, uh, and their first uh, unit in there is uh, Starbane's Council. It's a three-cost army. He's got one command icon, uh, three attacks and three hit points. Uh, he's Psyker and Nelatok. Uh, this unit gets plus two attack while attacking an exhausting unit, which, for the cost, is really strong, especially obviously when um, when uh, used in conjunction with the, the Warlord coming in 
exhausting something and these guys can hit them for five. Um, I think uh, the other thing to note is obviously when if they're at a planet that um, a warlord, an enemy warlord comes to, obviously the warlord's going to come in straight, but the the other unit's going to come in exhausted, so these guys get, then get to hit them for five as well. So I, I think these are probably my favourite um, signature unit army so far. Um, what do you think on these ones? I think for the cost of three, being able to hit something that's already exhausted for five is great. Like these guys I think are really good if anything they to me almost seem like for being you know a psyker council they seem too powerful but I, looking at the way they're they're drawn and like they're designing everything they're obviously warlocks which are the more warlike of the psychers for the uh, elder so it does make sense but I mean being able to hit whatever you want for five as long as it's exhausted is great like even if your opponent swings first then you just swing right back for five unless they outright kill this he's, he's swinging at something I mean, God help you if you, you know, you're ever sitting on a planet with your warlord and you know your warlord attacks and then they swing back at you with this thing. Five damage to a warlord is just brutal. Like you'd be better off retreating than allowing that to happen. <laughs> They're definitely something you're gonna to wanna to try and take out and having three hit points, you know, gives them some survivability. For their for their cost of three, they're really, really good. I also just wanted to really quickly point out just looking at this card i love the frame they designed for the elder cards it looks like an elder craft roll like the wraith bone design and everything so you know props to fg and their art department on that design for sure yeah it's just nice to have those little touches just to make it feel like uh, the difference between an eldar card and say an orc card it, it, it does help sort of that bit uh, being able to immerse into the game sort of thing so uh like I said, on the actual power scale of things, I think this is probably the best costed, uh, most reliable unit. Depending on what else they see in the in the um, regards of being able to exhaust other units, uh, I think these guys are a bit, a bit money each time you play them. At the three costs, they're not prohibitive, uh, and you do get a meaty body that just gets better if you play into what your strengths are. So, yeah, really good. Um, the next card we have is the Alatox Shrine. Uh, it's a one-cost support. Uh, location, Alatox. Uh, reaction, after a Eldar unit moves to a planet, exhaust the support to ready that unit. Now, uh, on the face of it, this doesn't look as powerful as the other uh, support cards in the other Warlord signature units. But I think being able to ready that unit when 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 move straight away, it's going to be quite a powerful effect, especially if you got like the, um, <clears throat> those guys that can hit for five or another another large unit. I think it's going to, you know, that that basically sort of reads being able to do three to five damage or whatever. So uh, on the face of it, it, doesn't look quite powerful, but I think as people use it more and more, we'll see how powerful the effect that is on that. Yeah, I mean. I think, much like all the other supports, this is a very powerful card and goes very well with the Warlord and their squad and everything. Like It, it all works together, which is good. Because um, being able to ready whatever unit you want, like if, if your Warlord's sitting at HQ and you move him and you know three or four other guys from HQ to a planet, usually those units come exhausted. But now they're all coming, one of them can come in ready. So you're always going to probably ready the most powerful attacker. And if you've got the initiative and you're hitting first... I mean, 
that can give you a much more powerful punch that your opponent might not be prepared for. So, I mean, f for one cost, it, it's got a pretty good effect that could help swing the game or a battle in your favor. Yeah, like, yeah, it's one of those, just, it just, it's, it's a subtle effect uh, that's just going to be really useful. So, again, you're probably going to be happy if you were playing against it. There's only one of it, much like all the other ones. So. Um, then we come on to uh, Foresight, which is a one-cost event with a single shield icon. Um, power reaction, after your warlord commits to a planet, commit it to a different planet. Um, this could be really powerful because of how the the um, the the, um, the plot, how they commit to planets, and then being able to suddenly sp swing somewhere else. So he gets to come in, uses reaction, kneel. Uh, sorry, exhaust something. Go into Game of Thrones. Uh, exhaust something. Uh, play this card. Move to another planet. Uses reaction again, and then uh, exhaust another card, which means he could go to if you could try and expect where the enemy warlord is, wanting to take um, put a council there, so you could um, swing him with your warlord, kneel, uh, exhaust something, uh, but you're going to have a battle because the enemy warlord's there. Then move somewhere else. To where you actually want to go, and then exhaust. I just think it's a, for one cost. It's a really powerful. Effect. And again, fits in with the theme of controlling uh, and getting the most out of the, their warlord, which I think is really powerful for one cost. It's just really, really good card. Yeah, I don't know if I can say anything that you didn't already just say because it's it's a really good card. Just being able to trigger his ability twice alone is a, a great effect, but. I mean, you can you can see what your opponent's already done, and you can figure out where you want to go. Like, you could potentially use this to move to a different planet that you're going to win, which might end up, you know, giving you the last planet you need or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's it's a really good card for one cost. I mean, you can't really complain. And if nothing else, it's got one shield icon. So, I mean, everything in his signature squad seems like a really good card. That's just really well costed for what it does. Yeah, I think that this this signature squad is looking to be one of the most sort of coherent, um, which has the best synergy with each other so far, as far as I can see, anyway. So, um, the last one that we have in the signature squad is uh, mobility. Uh, same as all the other ones. Uh, uh, zero cost, or the cost is dependent. Attachment, uh, three shield units, much like the rest of them. Uh, three shield icons, sorry. Um, it's a skill attached to an army unit. Attached unit gains mobile, which is at the beginning of the combat phase, this unit may move to an adjacent planet. Um, I think mobility, or mobile, should I say, the keyword itself, is going to be a really powerful effect. Uh, Eldar and Dark Eldar are probably going to be the ones that sort of benefit from this the most, where rather than having to commit a lot to a planet to sort of either sort of intimidate the opponent not in wanting to put stuff there, they can go where they needed to and be a bit more surgical about how they pick their, their combat basically. And this for, for zero cost, I think this is pretty bonkers basically. Much like all the other attachments up and again this rounds out their 
their uh, signature squad really nicely, and this is one I would really like. You know, there's never going to be a bad time to draw this, I don't think. So, unless you have no units, and then bad times anyway. So, yeah, if you've got no units, you're already in trouble. This isn't going to help you. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you know, like all the others, like you said, it's got three shield icons, and so it's great there. But the fact that it costs zero makes it so much easier just to play this on any unit, and it like you can test this to any any army unit you have. So I mean. I don't know. My only problem right now is trying to figure out do I want to have a Dark Elder Warlord or an Eldar Warlord and right now I'm leaning more towards Eldar with Dark Elder <laughs> support but we'll see. Mobility makes like you said perfect sense for the Eldar because it just them having mobile and being very mobile makes sense with the way their their design is and their war philosophy and everything so it's a it's a great little card. Too bad you only get one. Yeah, I think much like the other ones, if if you got like a couple of them, I think it could be almost too powerful. So I can appreciate why they've done it like that. Yeah, because if you could have multiple units get mobile for free, you could be just dancing over the place, and your opponent wouldn't have a chance of even trying to smack you back. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of reactionary sort of thing. Yeah, it could end up being very quickly an MPE. So I can see why. But if someone does manage to figure out that deck, where they, you know they're pretty much playing an entirely mobile unit fleet. That could get really annoying really quick, I can see. So, um, the the next card we get is um, Shredded Harlequin. Um, he's a two cost army. He has a single command icon. He's a two one warrior Harlequin with interrupt. When this unit is destroyed, exhaust the target enemy unit upon of your choice. What's not polite about this guy? A is a Harlequin, and. I'm not sure if they're in the current law because I'm not up to up to breast, but back in the day of like first and second ed, everyone loved Harlequins. Um, so seeing them in card form is really nice. Artwork's really nice. As to the, the effects, I like that he's top heavy, so he's a 2 1 rather than a 1 2, which means he can do his damage. He's probably going to get shot at some point. If not, they're going to keep repeatedly taking 2 damage until they deal with him. And when they do eventually deal with him, you get to exhaust. An enemy unit at any planet, not the current planet, which is bonkers. Um, yeah, this is probably going to be you, you smack three of these guys in it in pretty much every deck you play. Um, well, for the foreseeable future, anyway. Yeah, really good. Yeah, it is really good. Like putting three of these into a deck when you're using Elder as your Warlord is pretty much a no-brainer. But like, it's interesting to note that it's. A target enemy unit, so it doesn't specify what type of unit, so it can be a warlord or an army unit or whatever, at a planet of your choice. So it doesn't even say you know, adjacent planet or first planet or second planet, it's whatever planet. Like that's just, that's bonkers. Like I'm just going to exhaust wherever I want that's on the board right now. Like your opponent kills us and you're going to say, thank you. You know, you're going to exhaust their, I don't know, that the, the big dark elder tank or a land raider or something. Yeah, if, if, if you could. If there was more ways of giving repeatable mobile like a, a support unit, yeah, imagine they give these guys out and suddenly you're throwing this guy anywhere to then go through that 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 battle first and then you know to lead you up to um, when you go to the second battle that you already uh, exhausted something that the opponent wasn't rely you know was relying on to survive and attack first. Just it's just bonkers basically. Any planet is just really strong so. For two cost as well, for two cost. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next guys we have is the Silver Blade Avengers. 
Um, these are forecast army, um, one command icon, one attack, four hit points, warrior. Reaction after this unit is declared as an attack against a non-warlord unit, exhaust that unit. Um, God, these guys are going to get annoying. Are really annoying. Um, yeah, just the ability to, when you attack something, exhaust it. Done. Just basically taking them out of the, taking them out of the equation per round. Really annoying. But finally, it's a non-warlord unit. So say you've got like the uh, the six six um, orc unit. Take one. Be exhausted. Take one. Be exhausted. They'll keep doing that all day and eventually kill it, even if it's just those two. Or, you know, there. So. I, yeah, I really like the Avengers. Well, sorry, the Silver Blade Avengers. Is that is that what they're called now in the law? No, Silver they're Blade. they're still Dire Avengers. Like if you read the flavor text, they're just from the Silver Blade Shrine. So they're a uh, specific shrine within the Dire Avengers Aspect Warriors. Oh right. So that's why yeah, it's, I wasn't sure if it had been changed at all. So. No, they haven't changed that. Like in the Dire Avengers, you see the the Aspect Warriors. I didn't like at all. Like they were like the Ultramarines of Aspect Warriors. You know, they they were very vanilla, but they kind of got more flavor in later editions in like fifth and stuff. So they're a little bit better than they used to be. This unit though, like this card specifically, yeah, this is awesome. And again, it's a no-brainer to take this with Elderath and his signature squad, because you could right. have these guys and then Starbeans cancel at a planet. You strike first. Well, you're gonna hit with these guys first. Exhaust the opponent unit or you know however many units he has. You know, something make it something big, obviously, and then next swing with Starbane's Council, and it, it's dead before you even got to do anything. Like that's just, it's just I don't know. <laughs> it's bonkers. Like it's it's so good, and it's got four health, so it's not like it's going to be easy to for your opponent to wipe it out, which is which is fine because it's only hitting for one. So you know, it's it's not hitting for a lot. It's basically just ping, exhaust, ping, exhaust. So it's it's going to kill you by like mosquito bites. It's four. Yeah. It's four costs, but I think that's fine based on what it does. The fact that it can help shut down a huge unit for four costs is fine. Yeah, I see, I see more of a um, sort of a either a stall or a more of a, a facilitator to your other powerful effects, basically. So your um, Starbeam's Council, basically. So these facilitate them into being able to hit for five. So you, you're only hitting for one, but that means he's going to be able to hit for five rather than three. So. In, in tandem with them, these would be three attacks. So, in that sort of, if you want to look at it that way, you're not losing out that much. I just, there's not a bad thing to say about these. I've always liked the Dire Avengers. Like you said, I know they were always like sort of the Ultramarines and Vanilla, but I, I, I like that about them. I, I, I don't know why, especially the um, the Phoenix Lord um, for them. Is it, is it, I can't remember his name, is it Ashen? A Sermon. A Sermon, sorry, no, that was a sword. Yeah, I really liked him. I thought he was just cool. Um, but yeah, these I'll, I'll play three of these in any Eldar deck I play anyway because I think they're really good. Um, so next we have some more uh, some more. Uh, the what are the cast now? What are the um, the Dire Avengers, the Dragon Scorpions? What are they? They're all Aspect Warriors. Aspect Warriors, that's the one. So we've got another Aspect Warrior here, uh, which is the BL10 Warp Spiders. Uh, there are two cost army with the command icon. Is one attack and three hit points. As a reaction, after this unit is declared as an attacker, look at the top two cards of any player's deck. You may discard one of those cards. Um, an odd ability, but kind of fitting in with the whole. They they were 
whenever you played them, they were always the weird, sort of, didn't really fit into any sort of tactic, just sort of a harrying unit, but sometimes could go wrong. I mean, the addition I played, the, um, the is it Warpfield Generator, or what was it called now? The, um, the backpack they use? Yeah, yeah, and they could sometimes get, like, stuck in the warp, or, you know, yeah, it's like a some sort of special generator that lets them travel through the webway. They kind of like jump around. You know, it's it's almost like you yeah. know being able to instantaneously teleport in Star Trek or something. Yeah, which was really cool, but a lot of the times really sporadic, um, and could lead up to some really funny misplays. So, um, I mean, as mechanical for the card, this could be really good because you can you can cycle through giving your opponent. The worst out of the two cards constantly discarding the good cards um, plus giving knowledge to yourself what he's going to be drawing as well which is always good hand knowledge is always good anyway um, for two cost really solid the unit um, with a, an annoying ability um, I've got to say as well I do like the artwork on this but everyone liked the uh, Warp Spiders artwork anyway so yeah I was a big fan of the Warp Spiders when they were first introduced they were a relatively new Aspect Warrior back in the day, and they had really cool models too. I think like this unit fits very well with the rest of the Elder. Like it seems like the Eldar are going to have more of a like a, a deck manipulation feel, whereas the Dark Elder have manipulating of the hand. So they're both Eldar, but they go about things differently. And, you know, the Dark Elder punish your hand, and the Elder themselves kind of like look at your deck so they can see what's coming up, so you know they know the future, which makes sense for the Eldar because that's one of the things they're known for is being able to see the future and kind of manipulate things to make things go their way. Uh, for two costs, I mean, you certainly can't complain about that ability. And I mean, you could use this on your own deck if you wanted to. So, you know, if, you know, you're just, you're drawing all crap and, you know, you're just not seeing that card you want, you can look at your top two cards of your deck and, you know, if one of them is not the card you want or it's just not a card you want anytime soon, get rid of it and that way you're getting a little bit further into your own deck. So... I mean, there are times you might want to use this on yourself. More, more times than not, you're going to want to use it, obviously, against your opponent. But you could use this on yourself to help get yourself out of one, you know, one of those times where you just seem to be drawing all that crap out of your deck, which happens to the best of us. Yeah, I, I, like, I like that you can, it can be used on both. It's like you say, if you need to filter, if you get into that late game where you do not want to be drawing more resources because you, you, you're kind of at the point where you're fine for resources... Um, so you want to try and filter out some of the, some of that. So you just go into more threats. It's a good thing. Um, and the ability to look at two cards from your opponent's deck, it gives you, if you get it out early, it gives you a good feel of what they're trying to do. I mean, not so much out of the, um, out the gates when it's just a core set because I think everyone's going to be sort of, uh, sort of not. I don't want to say something bad here. Uh, everyone's going to be. You're going to be knowing generally what your opponent is playing, uh, aside from allies and stuff like that. Uh, but later on, when the game progresses really down the line, you want to be able to see, you know, those two cards. You have a really good hand deck uh, knowledge as well. So, and being able to say, yeah, oh, you want you're doing this, are you? We'll get rid of that now. Enjoy trying to enjoy the next one, and so on and so on. So, yeah, really useful. But it's for, for, well costed as well. So, the, the elder seem to be the from what I've seen, the better costed um, to, to how their stats work. I, I prefer how the Eldars have been costed, which is weird because I thought like the Marines would take away with that, but it seems the Eldars seem to be better for me. So, um, 
the, the last card we have is um, Nullify. It is a zero cost event with one shield icon. It's a power. Uh, interrupt. When your opponent plays an event card, exhaust a unique Eldar unit to cancel its effects. Um, don't know how much of a fan I am of this. I don't think it'd be useful right away because I can't see him getting more than one or two uniques and usually uniques are quite have good effects and they tend to be undercosted because they're unique um, that, and if they require them to uh, be exhausted to, to, the, to use said effects this again makes this less powerful because you, you're wanting to use their effects rather than kneel it to the, uh, exhaust it to this so later on when you maybe be able to feel the deck with I don't know 25% of uniques that might be really strong but for now I'm not a massive fan of this card but I can, I can see its potential definitely see I really like this card because of what it can do but it does have a limitation like you said where they're only going to get one unique unit plus your warlord there could be times that's going to be difficult to want to use this but if you've already committed Eldoroth to a planet he's exhausted the enemy unit and then you can use this to cancel whatever event your opponent plays, exhaust Eldrath, you're only losing out on one attack because he only hits for one, so it's not really that big a deal, I don't think. And being able to nullify, like just completely cancel an opponent's event could really, you know, make things blow up in his face. And I mean, if nothing else, it's zero cost and it's got one shield icon. I don't know. I like the card. I'll definitely be using it in my deck. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite useful with the Warlord, but... Um, if your warlord's otherwise engaged, or if he's already been, you know, a, a, and the opponent is thinking to play around that, wait until you've, you've um, struck with your warlord and then plays his effect, you could leave you in like an awkward position. That's that's all I'm thinking. It just seems at the minute a little bit, bit too situational where I'm going to be left with only my warlord to trigger it, and if he plays around it, then I'm stuck. Rather than where I can have three or four characters and that are unique, so the they can be used as a, as a cost for it, basically. So, don't get me wrong, definitely full of potential. A zero cost is stupid. Um, but for now, out, out of the gates, I think it'll have limited effect. I'll probably, I'm not, I'm not going to be running three, I might run one somewhere, basically. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a curve that will get better as things go on and we see more uniques for each of the factions. So, but I, I definitely think it has a lot of good uses. Um, yeah, so uh, I think that's the last of our um, of the FFG um, uh, spoilers. So, did you want to bring them ours or? Yeah, uh, I'll grab ours. So, ours this week is an army unit. It's a big one. It's six cost. It is a wailing wraith fighter. Two command icons. Three attack. Five hit points. It's a vehicle spirit elite. No war gear attachments. It is flying. This unit takes half damage from non-flying units. And reaction. After this unit is declared as an attacker, your opponent must choose in this card one card from his hand, if able. Not bad at all, for the most part. I think six is really expensive, but it's a nice big beefy unit, so it's definitely gonna, probably going to be a late game unit. The fact that it's got flying means it's going to stick around the board for quite a while. Hitting for three. It's also... You should note that it's loyal. So the only thing I find odd about it is that this one, with its reaction, feels more like a, 
Dark Eldar reaction than an Elder one where it discards a card from their hand. And you couldn't really use this with the Dark Elder because it's loyal. But, I mean, still, it's a, it's a nice unit. It's nice, big. I mean, if nothing else, it's a 3-5 with flying. So, you know, it's, it's going to hit for a while. Um, for anyone who's curious why a vehicle has the trait Spirit, um, Wraith units are units used by the Eldar that are actually controlled by Spirit of the Dead. So there's Wraith Guards, Wraith Lords, and Wraith Fighters. So it doesn't have an actual pilot. It's actually piloted by the Spirit of a deceased Eldar. Yeah, um, I like this guy. Um, he kind of, for six costs, he's what you want for six costs. Um, being flying effectively gives him 10 hit points against um, non-flying uh, units or something that renders flying obsolete. Um, the reaction, like you say, is a bit more fitting with Dark Eldar. However, because they get to choose rather than at random, I think that sort of goes in between them, basically, because they do, they do get to choose at least the card. Um, but because it's so, because the, character, the unit is so sticky, um, which is like, you know, being able to keep, stay on the board for a while and, and trade with quite a few units with that reaction built in. So, you know, this, this guy hits, takes out a unit, discard a card, hits, takes out a unit, discard a card, hits, takes out a unit, discard a card, then dies. You've just got six card advantage for one unit, which is massive. You know, so you've got three cards out of the hand, you've got three units killed. Six, I, I pay six for that. I, I'm, I'm kind of glad it's low. So, yeah, I, 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 this is what you want for six cards. Again, it's one of those cards that's not like the uh, the Soul Grand or whatever, where it's just massive. This is more like the Dark Eldar six cost unit, where it's just sort of a. It's a bit more, not subtle, but, you know, it's not in your face massive damage, just really generate an advantage for what you need and I think that does again fit into the Eldar sort of how they how they want to work and how they want to fire basically yeah I mean it's, it's like I said it's definitely a, a good unit um, for six cost and having flying flying I mean flying on anything makes it a really good unit especially if your opponent's not prepared to take out flyers yeah I, th I think um, flying's going to be one of those keywords that at first doesn't look all that good, but when you realise, uh, when you put it on something with five hit points, it gets really annoying really quickly, when you're having to do so much more damage to it to, to finish it off. Yeah, really powerful effect, so. Uh, and I believe that's it for um, the preview bit, so I'll let you uh, take the rest of it away. Okay, so we already discussed some of the, the early history of the Elder um, from what we know last week, back during the Dark Elder stuff, so I'm not going too much into that. Um, so, the, the Eldar that are envisioned here with the Eldar faction in the card game are what are known in the miniature game as the Eldar, otherwise known as the Craftworld Eldar. So, they live on the giant Craftworlds that are essentially humongous ships that were created and then used to get people away from the Eldar homeworlds who didn't necessarily agree with the path and you know that their race was kind of falling through so they're the the truest examples of the original eldar homeworlds and you know they carry uh technology and works of arts and you know 
plants and animals that were rescued from the plants before they were all destroyed by the creation of the Eye of Terror. So the the way that the Eldar have survived on these craft worlds is by following what's called the Eldar Path. So as we discussed last week, the Eldar mind is able to go to extremes that the human mind simply can't achieve. So in order to help dissuade people and from a you know, allowing them to fall on the dark path that, you know, could lead to corruption by chaos or whatever. They they created the Eldar path where an Eldar, instead of dabbling in many different things, you know, like having various hobbies and jobs and, you know, interests and stuff like that, they find something and they follow it to the extreme and they completely dedicate themselves, mind, body, and soul to that aspect. So the most common paths are the path of the warrior and the path of the seer. The path of the seer is where they develop their psychic powers and they'll eventually become what's called a farseer who are essentially the leaders of most of the craft worlds. They're extremely powerful psychers. Um, they can you know, do things like see the future and um, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's also within the path of the seer what are known as warlocks. Um, the warlocks are elder psychers who also at some point during their lifetime have follow, followed along the path of the warrior so they're able to combine their knowledge from their time as warriors with their psychic abilities to do the more destructive abilities. You know, they'll like, you know, cast lightning bolts from their hand and stuff like that. You know, the, the more destructive aspects of what they can do with their psychic abilities. Um, the path of the warrior is uh, made up of various different shrines to the various aspect warrior classes. So Nate and I have mentioned a couple times the aspect warriors. So the aspect warriors are essentially warrior elites who have, all have like a different role that they perform. So you know, there's the striking scorpions who are very much about close combat, and they uh, they carry chain swords, and they have a, a helmet that shoots these blasters that you know are, are like a scorpion sting. They can sting their opponent and temporarily uh, you know stop them for them to get in close and defeat them with their swords. There's also a the Howling Banshees are another close combat one, and their their thing is they're they're females, but their uh, their aspect then they're also close combat. They use a different type of swords, but instead of them sending out stingers, they have the ability to send out a scream that can stun their opponents, uh, which is why they're called the Howling Banshees. Obviously, uh, there's also the uh, the fire dragons. They carry on big flamers that can be used to. Uh, cook their opponents and you know it can be used to destroy vehicles and armor and stuff like that um you know they're, they're of course named after dragons from ancient myths all all the aspect warriors that should be noticed are designed to represent a different aspect of the elder war god and one of his his roles as the war god uh there's also the dire avengers the dire avengers are as we said the most common one uh they're pretty much the most normal too they they use rather standard weaponry and guns, and they serve as just standard infantry, really, for the most part. Um, what other ones are there? Oh, there's also the swooping hawks. The swooping hawks are pretty cool. They uh, they use wings, so they actually fly around, and they use las blasters, so they use laser guns to fly around the battlefield, shooting their opponents. Uh, the warp spiders, as we mentioned, are able to teleport around by making essentially they jump. From one spot to another using their backpacks so they can get in and strike. 
there's even some more there's some different types like there's a the war or the the crimson hunters they're instead of them having like a particular type of armor like all the other aspect warriors do they actually fly around in a vehicle so they're their their armor is this vehicle that they fly around in. it's called a, a nightshade interceptor and that's that's their war gear so they fly on these planes they're really good pilots and they that's how they they fight that's their combat method they're relatively new to the game because they were founded again so to speak uh, like a, there's a couple others that were also founded recently uh one of my favorites was the shining spears they they ride around on jet bikes and they use a a big lance so they're they're very much like knights in shining armor like they they literally charge into battle holding these lances and, you know they'll charge you like a, a knight during a joust and you know hit you with lance and knock you over yeah, I think they're, they're, they're one of my favorite, yeah. the new, newer ones, the, uh, they reminded me of like what you say, the, uh, the knight in shining armor, thing. I really did like those guys. Yeah. Uh, there's another one that's relatively new, uh, they were adding one of the expansion books, they're called uh, the Shadow Spectres, they were lost for millennia and then their shrine was recently founded when their, uh, their Phoenix Lords armor was founded. Um, so the Phoenix Lords are a, a group of warriors who were the first aspect warriors of each of the different classes. So, like, there's there's Jane Zara. She was the Phoenix Lord and founder of the Howling Banshees. And then there's there's Fugan, who founded the uh, the Fire Dragons. And they were all trained by a warrior known as a Sermon. A Sermon is the the founder of all the various aspect warriors and the shrines and everything. But he's also the the founder of the Dire Avengers aspect warriors. So, the Phoenix Lords are kind of unique in that. They literally cannot die. They're they they have a, a stone. Every elder carries a, a spirit stone that essentially is used to house their soul. But with the Phoenix Lords, it works differently. Their armor has a stone that holds the soul of every elder who's ever worn that armor. So if a Phoenix Lord is somehow defeated, someone will come along, don their armor. And become that Phoenix Lord. The, the original Phoenix Lord, his memories and abilities and everything essentially take over and he's reborn in the body of this this other Eldar. So it, it's it's slightly different. They're not immortal in the true sense of the word, but they, they live on by being constantly reincarnated in the body of someone else. Uh, all the Phoenix Lords are, are quite interesting. They all have kind of unique little backgrounds and stories to them. Stuff like that. Um, like the, uh, the the Phoenix Lord for the Scorpion Warriors is known as Karandras. Well, Karandras was not the first striking Scorpion. He's actually the second. The first was Ara, who became the Fallen Phoenix and eventually <laughs> trained the Dark Elder Incubus. So there, there's, there's an interesting little story there with how those two work, and they obviously don't like each other very much. Um, so those are what, you know, the Eldar who... Are traveling on the path of the warrior will do. There, there are other warriors within Elder Society. They have a group that's called the Guardians. They're essentially militia. They're reserve troopers. They they fight in times of war when needed, but they're not they're not always fighting like the the aspect warriors are. So they're like kind of the grunts. They're the Imperial Guard, if you want, of the uh, the Elder warriors and stuff like that. So the path of the warrior. Is and the the path of the seer are the most common ones that we know the most about. Um, there are of course other paths. You know that there'd be like path of 
the artisans or whatever who you know might be painters or stuff like that. Um, so there's various paths. Every elder, for the most part, is pretty much on one of these paths just to keep themselves focused so that they don't become distracted or stray or whatever to the way that they used to be. So we mentioned one of the gods of the elder. The, the elder used to have a whole pantheon of gods, very similar in some ways to like, you know, Greek mythology and stuff like that. But all the gods were destroyed when Slanish was born, except for two of them. So there's Kayla Menshakane, who's the war god, who all the aspect warriors are representing some aspect of his of. And he fought Slanish when Slanish was born, was unable to defeat him, and was essentially sent back to the, the, the regular galaxy. And he was split into different pieces. Each of these pieces came to rest in the heart of one of the various craft worlds. So with this piece of cane that's in their craft world, the Elder are able to awaken it so it can fight with them during times of war in what's called the Avatar. It's this giant made out of living metal and flame and hate and everything, and its hand always drips with blood from one of the things that Cain's famous for doing back in the mythology and stuff like that. But it, and it, it will fight with them, so it's essentially... The, it's equivalent in many ways in the game to like a greater demon of chaos. And then there's also the other god, who's the, the god that's worshipped by the, uh, the Harlequins, and that's Sigurat. Sigurat is known as the Laughing God. He, uh, he's, he's the trickster god from Elder Mythology, and he was able to survive, depending on which story you hear, uh, by hiding behind Cain or hiding in the webway and stuff like that. He's also the only of, of the two Elder Gods who exist in his original form, so he's not split up like Cain is. And uh, he's the one that the uh, the Harlequins worship. The Harlequins fulfill a unique role within Eldar and Dark Eldar and, and also the Exodites um, society in that they travel between all the different groups and they're welcomed by all. Like even the Dark Eldar welcome them. They'll they'll fight in times of war, but when they're not war, they they do sometimes a, a traveling show, wherein they'll reenact various stories from elder mythology and elder history and stuff like that using like acrobatics and you know and they wear elaborate costumes and stuff so that's why the harlequins are around so you know we'll probably also see harlequins that are dark elder cards as opposed to a just elder cards eventually because they're they will travel between the two now i mentioned the exodites there the exodites are a different group of elder they live on various worlds at the edge of the galaxy that were relatively new worlds created or terraformed or whatever by the elder near the end of their empire and they they live a, a somewhat more rustic life they're considered barbaric or rural or whatever by the more civilized eldar of the craft worlds and they uh they tend to you know they're they're nomadic they they follow herds of they're essentially dinosaurs and they'll ride around on some of the smaller dinosaurs that they're right around on uh they're called dragon knights and stuff like that, and they fight from the back of these, and they'll they'll fight against humans or whoever else might invade their world. And some of the the craft worlds will come to their rescue and stuff like that. But they they live on this originally founded world from way back when, and they've just kind of lived this more simple life, which helps protect them from, in a similar way that the uh, the Eldar path protects the craft world Eldar. Now, all the the Eldar and the Exodites and uh, the Harlequins too all have to have a way for their soul to be protected from Slanish. 
So, you know, remember how we kind of discussed how the Dark Elder, they'll commit acts of cruelty to feed off of the pain and anguish of others to help perpetuate their own life because they don't want to die and be have their soul devoured by Slannis. Well, the Craftworld Elder carry what's called a spirit stone, and when they die, their soul goes into that spirit stone. The spirit stone is then released into the infinity circuit of the uh, of the, uh, the the Eldar's craft world and joins the rest of all the deceased Eldar in there. And that's where the souls that they need to power their wraith lords or wraith fighters or wraith guard or whatever comes from. It's They essentially go to the infinity circuit, take out a soul and put it into one of the, the robots that then powers it as well as controls it. Um, the Exodites also have an affinity circuit that's on their world, but theirs is kind of like it's, it's like, it's like the old uh, Stonehenge and stuff like that. You know, the various men here is they're all over Europe. That's how theirs takes the form of, and their souls go in there similar to the same way that the uh, the Craftworld Elder do. The Harlequins, their souls they don't use a soul stone at all, but they're protected by their faith in Sigurats, the Laughing God. So he takes their souls and protects them. So their their faith literally protects them. And then the the Phoenix Lords we already kind of discussed that you know they have their own spirit stone that all the souls of all the people that have ever worn that armor exist within. Now also going along with the uh, the idea of the Elder Path, obviously not everyone you know ever is going to want to uh, kind of follow along with this particular very stringent path. So there are elder that will leave their craft worlds and they become outcasts and corsairs and pirates and stuff like that um so you know they they can they choose to live their lives for a while outside of that some will return and you know take back up the path in a different and some will just continue to be pirates or whatever raiding and attacking you know the imperium or whoever else they might happen to be involved with now of the various craft worlds, there are quite a few. We've already seen a few mentioned within the cards that we've seen preview, like Alaytok, which is the one that uh, Eldrath comes from. We've also saw mention of Bealtan. Uh, all the craft worlds have, you know, kind of their own unique culture, and you know, they're, they're kind of like you know nations that you or I might recognize. Like Alaytok is known for having a lot of rangers and scouts and stuff like that. Um, they're also known for being particularly not big fans of the Necrons, and they'll do their best to try and take them out. Uh, Biltan is the most militaristic of all the Craftworlds. They're, they want to bring back the Elder Empire by you know killing everyone else and taking over their planets. So they'll fight all the other races. Uh, they have the most warriors, of course. Uh, there's another Craftworld that's called a Yandin. Uh, Ayandin's mostly destroyed now, so they're known for using a lot of Wraith Garden Wraith Lords. They were involved in an attack by a, a Tyranid High Fleet back during the original time of High Fleet Kraken. So it killed almost everyone that lived on that craft world. So they have to rely on the, uh, the spirits that they have to uh, help buff up their forces during times of war. Um, the other one, the, there's, there's these five big ones. So the other... The fourth of the five big ones is called Same Hand. Uh, Same Hand is a bit more tribal, you could say. They, uh, they they fight together in clans on the world and stuff like that, and they're very much about honor and stuff like that, and they're particularly well-known for riding around on various jet bikes and stuff. And you know, 
stuff like that. Then there's also Althway. Althway is one of the most common ones that you'll hear a lot about. They It exists really close to the Eye of Terror, so they, they fought Chaos for a long time. They actually have a standing force of Guardians, as opposed to the Guardians just being uh, reserve troopers only used in times of war. They're, they're their troopers are called the Black Guardians, so they're particularly well-trained and equipped and stuff like that. Uh, they were led by uh, one of the, the big special characters from the Elder, Eldrad Althran, for quite a while, who recently was killed off in some of the uh, the background to the 13th uh, Black Crusade. There's other craft worlds, but they don't tend to get very much time in the limelight within the miniature game. Those five tend to be the big ones, and for quite a while they're the only ones that we really knew about, but they've added others into the lore as time's gone by. Uh, so, you know, this isn't, that's not by any means all of them. You can look all these up, of course, on, you know, any of the various wiki for 40k, so I'm not going to go into detail on every single craft world that exists, but there is quite a few others that are out there. Some are still around, some have been destroyed, unfortunately, due to various reasons. Um, so that's pretty much it for the Elder. Uh, Neat, you got any thoughts you want to add in regards to the Elder? Um, just, uh, oh, I, mean, I think we missed one of the uh, Aspect Warriors, the Dark Reapers. Yep. New right. the, the, the heavy weapon guys. Um, one of my favorite. That's why I noticed that you missed it. That's all it was. <laughs> Uh, purely because their Phoenix Lord Malgan Ra I think is amazing. I even like his the, the Reaper of Souls is an awesome title as well. So, um, yeah, Eldar have always wanted to be been one of my favourite factions purely because of how they were and how they were structured. Like all, all the Aspect Warriors, I think have instant appeal because each one is a specialist unit at doing what they do, and they've all got a special character that leads each one of those special. Um, type of aspect warriors I, I love in the I think it was second ed when you got all the special characters uh, and they each had their own uh, story and uh, different stats and different piece of war gear that was just like an improved um, piece of what the the, uh, the the normal aspect warriors carry so like with them um, I think in second ed like like Jane's are where at the normal banshees had like a, a power sword and obviously the banshee mask. She had the like the it was a glaive or something similar to that, and then like the uh, the three pronged um, throwing. I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, you'll have to help me out here. Yeah? Uh, I can't remember either, but I know what you're thinking of. She's got that three prong throwing star thing that was in her one hand. Yeah. And, where, and like Malgan Ra had the, the shuriken cannon sort of thing, but it had a massive power axe on the end of it as well. I thought that was really cool, and it pretty much made me instantly fall in love with the, the Eldar and what they were about. Um, when I think they went through later editions where all the Phoenix Lords were just a standard Phoenix Lord, but then they got plus one to this start and plus one to that start, and it, it sort of drove me off them a little bit. I understood it as a, a mechanical way. It was easier for them to do it like that, but it just sort of, it sounded taste in my mouth, in, in my mouth I think, when they, when they did it like that. I, I preferred that. The, I think, was it Second Ed where they had the really thick book? Yeah, Second Editions where the Phoenix Lords got like their own unique character yeah. and everything, and they were all special characters and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I think that's where I sort of fell in love with them, and later on when they did it like that, that's when I started not liking them as much, but um, I, like, I always like the Guardians. I loved the Beal Town when I saw them painted up, how they're the, the green and white, and 
when you saw the big uh, display. I don't know if you ever saw. They did like a big display of a built-in full force, and I really like that and how the 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 wraith um, the wraith guard and that fitted in with them as well. And they're just a really interesting faction. Um, I'm glad they've brought the Harlequins back because I'm sure for a time they didn't actually have them in the army book for a while. When they first when I, when I first started playing, they were a big thing, but then I think they sort of phased them out. But I'm I'm sure when they they brought them back into the actual tabletop now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're in the codexes now, like because they're also in the uh, they're in the Dark Elder codex too. So you, Dark Elders oh, right. can take Harlequins as well. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Though. It'd be nice if we could. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of Harlequin fans out there, and if you can get some sort of, if you can get a warlord for the Harlequins, I'm sure people will be absolutely loving that. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I think they're they're one of the most interesting factions, and probably as you can tell, how I'm talking about them, would be possibly my favourite faction, outside of the orcs, of course. Yeah, of course, the orcs. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's going to be a wrap on the Elder episode. Uh, we'll be back next week for the last of the faction previews. Uh, it will be the Tau, and then hopefully not too long after that, we'll be seeing the rules as well. Uh, so uh, we will see everyone next week. Bye.